Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Welcome, everyone, for such a spectacular and special night tonight. This is Friends in Fiction, five best-selling novelists, endless stories. You have no idea the stories. <laughs> we are special this week. We are five writers and friends whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores binds us together. Along with our love for a few other things like kids, decorating, laughter, and supporting each other and you. And this is our weekly Friends in Fiction show. I'm Patty Callahan Henry, and I am hosting for our guest tonight, Luna Davis. My latest historical novel is called Becoming Mrs. Lewis. Hi, and I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and I am the author of On Ocean Boulevard and the re-release of The Book Club. Hi, I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my latest book is Hello Summer. Hi, I'm Kristen Harmel, and my latest is The Book of Lost Names. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my latest book is Feels Like Falling. And as you can see, we have an incredible guest tonight. We are so thrilled to have Fiona with us to talk about her new book, The Lions of Fifth Avenue, which comes out on August 4th. But before we get started, we have some really exciting news. Our Kristen Harmel's book, The Book of Lost Names, that we have been talking about for a couple weeks and had a big party for last week. Today, we found out just hit the New York Times list. I know there's a whole show to do, but can I just say, and I'll post this on the page too, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of you who supported it, who read it, who've said nice things, who've showed up every week. I, I, it's friends and fiction, you guys. It's the friends and fiction magic. Thank you. <laughs> we we're love you. We're so proud of you. Yes. We're so and that book, it's a powerful you. book, man. We're so it excited. Is. So let's talk about Fiona. So Fiona and I first met at a book festival in Atlanta, Georgia. Do you remember, Fiona? Outside, it was about 110 degrees. <laughs> but I'd met her through her work long before then. Wait, do you guys remember book festivals? <laughs> like something from another time? A fevered dream of life before COVID? When we didn't even know the word COVID or social distancing and we couldn't have fathomed wearing a mask except in a hospital? Well, things have changed in a blink, but Fiona's powerful work only gets better. 
The second time we met was in New York City at Grand Central Station for a martini. So yes, I felt like I fell into one of her historical novels and it was quite grand. So I'm thrilled she's here with us. So let me just give you a brief bio about Fiona. She is not the character in Shrek. (laughs) Fiona began her career in New York City as an actress where she worked on Broadway, off-Broadway and in regional theater. After getting a master's degree at Columbia Journalism School, which sounds like maybe one of your characters, she, yes. yeah, without giving anything away, she fell in love with writing, leapfrogging from editor to freelance journalist before finally settling down as an author of historical fiction. Fiona's books have been translated into more than a dozen languages. She's a graduate of the College of William and Mary and is based in New York City, which is where she is right now. Lions of Fifth Avenue is her fifth novel. Am I right? Is it the fifth? Yes. And is set in the New York City Public Library. Each of her historical novels are set in a historical building in New York. And let me remind you that if you have a question for Fiona, we're going to be pulling some live questions. So post it during our Friends in Fiction Facebook page and we'll pull them. But before we get started, I also want to remind you that one of the reasons we all got started on this endeavor is our love for independent bookstores. As you all know, all of us at Friends in Fiction are passionate supporters of independent booksellers. Each week we highlight one indie bookseller and tonight Fiona chose it for us and it is called Books on the Common in Connecticut. And they are graciously giving you 10% off the books and the link to the bookstore is posted on the Friends in Fiction book page and Fiona has left signed copies there for you lucky viewers. So Fiona, welcome. Thank you. We're all going to talk about our week, but first we want to know how have you been doing during this crazy pandemic time? Like the rest of us at Friends in Fiction, your book tour got canceled or postponed for the Lions of Fifth Avenue. So where have you been spending your time and how is it not being on the road for this incredible novel? Tell us what's going on. You know, I have to say the team at Dutton, my publishers, my agent, they really mobilized in as early as March and April. And so even though there's not a physical book tour, the virtual book tour is incredible. And I'm talking with lots of wonderful people and and other authors for the next, for pretty much all of August. And I can't wait because even though it is virtual, you're still making contact with readers. And I think that's so important. I, I will miss the signing line, you know, yeah. where you actually have a couple minutes with someone, um, but but they'll come back. So in the meantime, we're, we're figuring it out. And where have you been spending most of it? Have you been in the city this whole time or have you been able to get away? You know, I'm very lucky where last April I bought a house just a little north of the city. It's a 1890s farmhouse. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's just a perfect getaway. So I have gotten away and I've spent a lot of time there. I come into the city every so often to catch up on things, but it's, it's really lovely. It's got a pond and a hammock. And so I work and then I go read in the hammock and I, you know, we're very lucky as writers that we work from home. So things haven't changed in terms of that. Um, and yeah, I've just been soaking up every minute of, of the, the countryside. That's amazing. Good for you. 
So before we dive into our questions for Fiona, Kristen has a special welcome to some other unseen guests tonight. Kristen, want to tell us? Yeah, thank you, Patty. I don't think we say it enough, but we are so grateful to Facebook for providing this platform where we can all connect this way. I mean, without Facebook, I don't think we would have friends in fiction, at least not on this scale. And so we wanted to say thanks for that. And in addition um, to welcoming our friends in fiction members tonight, which are 14,000 of you now, I can't believe it. We've hit 14,000. Like, what is happening? Um, but in addition to that, we also wanted to say a big hello and welcome to anyone watching tonight on Books and Facebook, which is a big page run by Facebook itself. So if you're catching us there and you love books, we hope you will join us over here at Friends in Fiction too. Thanks, love. So Fiona, we each have a question for you. But before we shoot those at you, tell us about the Lions of Fifth Avenue. We call it the dreaded elevator pitch, but it can be like a really long elevator, like the kind that goes to the top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> so take the time you need, but tell us a little bit about the book before we dive into our questions. Sure, yeah. So I write books that are set in New York City landmarks, and this one's set at the New York Public Library. And it's in two timelines. So in 1913, it's from the point of view of a woman named Laura, who lives inside the, the public library in a seven-room apartment that actually existed with her husband, who's the superintendent, and their kids. And she lives in this apartment surrounded by all this knowledge, but she wants something more out of life. And so she applies to Columbia Journalism School, and that, this is back in 1913. It was in its second year of existence. And she gets in, and, and her world is really blown wide open. And then the other timeline is in 1993, from the point of view of Sadie, who's a curator in a, a special rare book collection in the library that actually exists called the Berg Collection. And she is putting on an exhibit of rare books and one goes missing. And she's kind of drawn into this series of book thefts that occurred 80 years ago, as well as a tragedy that happened to the superintendent's family back then. And I like to say it's about the magic of the written word and the power of women's voices. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so good. So I get to go first because I'm the host tonight. And so I want to ask you what we have been asking all of our guests and what we've asked each other too. So I'm going to ask you straight away, how was reading and writing valued in your home growing up? Do you think it had anything to do with you becoming a writer? What, was it a home where it was encouraged or discouraged? What were the values around all of that when you were growing up? That's such a great question. I've never been asked that before. Yeah, um, yeah you know, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. And the one constant was going to the library. And every week, my mother would put me and my brother in the car, and we'd go to the library, and he'd go to the train section, and I would go to horses, and, um, <laughs> and Judy Bloom, and, and we would take out three or four books each and come home and sit and read. And, and we're really a family that when we all get together, we sit in the same room and read <laughs> quietly. And, and so it was very valued, and I was just en enraptured by books early on. And that just never changed. I think it's, I love the question because it gives us such insight into the kind of writers we are, how we grow up. Okay, Mary Kay Andrews, I know you have a question. Take it away, baby. I do. You know, I'm always interested, Fiona, in process. And so my question was, do you have a list of New York City buildings that intrigue you? I mean, I know you have set stories in iconic places like the Dakota 
where John and Oko, John and Yoko lived. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. Yoko, John and Yoko uh, and the Chelsea Hotel, where lots of scintillating stories happened and the barbs on. Um, is the bar, you know, this is like a three-part question. I'm hogging all the time, but that's okay. Um, you do. Yeah. Is The Lions the first book you've set in a non-residential type building? I mean, I know you said that there was an apartment there, but um, is this a, a little bit of a departure? Um, not really. The The third book that took place at Grand Central Terminal was set in a place that wasn't a residence, but it's set at the art school that was there called the Grand Central School of Art. And, you know, I'm always looking for the surprise in each landmark because I know that's what readers will be drawn to. And so the fact that there was this amazing art school in, in Grand Central that was there for 20 years and had 900 students a year, that to me was, I thought, okay, that's okay. It's all right that there's no one living there. Um, because my first thought was, would I have like a commuter fall in love with a train conductor, you know? <laughs> and so once I figured that out, it was fine. Um, but yeah, most of them have been residential, which is so much easier because you can have a, a crazy cast of characters really bang into each other easily when they all live in the building. And do you start with a protagonist in her story or and move her into the setting? Or do you have the setting first and then figure it out? I usually start with the setting and do a lot of research. And with the New York Public Library, when I was doing a deep dive into the New York Times archives, and I found this article um, that was written on the retirement of the superintendent. And it talked about how he lived in the family, with his family in the building, how his daughter was born in the library. And this is back in 19, the 1910s. And that the kids used to play baseball in the library using books as bases until they got caught. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure you find that, that as you're researching, something just, just sparks you and sparks off. And, and you're off and running on, on. And then I thought, okay, it's the superintendent's family, whose point of view? And I immediately thought the wife, you know, what, what was she thinking? And because I'm interested in the way women look at the world and how that's changed over time or not. Oh, that's amazing. I kind of got chills. That last time. I love that. Awesome. I know. Mary Alice. Yeah, that actually feeds into my next question. And that is that when you can, you usually, most of your books, the address, the dollhouse, the masterpiece, and of course the avenue, you construct your novels around the lives of two women, one from a past era and one from relatively modern era. And these women, I think, are very strong. They're forward-thinking, and yet they have struggles, and they're struggling against economics, the, either the constraints of economics, as well as the restrictions of who women are in that period of time. have mysteries. There's a secret that has to be unraveled. So I look at your books as part social history, part mystery, and part candy for those of us who love historical buildings. And I think that's a winning combination. So my question is, what inspired you to come up with this framework, this format? And, and as an aside, let me just say big kudos to you for starred review on your very first novel. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, I think I, I started writing the books. I hadn't written anything. I'd been a journalist. And I had this idea around writing a book about the Barbizon Hotel for Women, only because I wanted to read it. 
you know, uh, and I, I was in my mid forties. I hadn't written a book ever before. I, I didn't think I was the type of person to write a book. Um, but this story just stuck with me and I had, I had to try. And I just love dual timeline books. They're, they're, I'm always drawn to them. They're my favorite. And so I thought, Ooh, I'll do a dual timeline. That'll be fun. If I had any idea how hard it is, I would have I mean, it's crazy. Um, and then throw in a mystery on top of it. I mean, there are days that my head is just spinning and I have to go and eat a lot of cheese in order to. <laughs> um, but once I got known for the dual timeline landmark building, I was like, all right, let's do it. And so every book, it's, it's a real joy because I am the, I am able to show how things have changed over time or not. Like my character, Laura, in the 1910s gets drawn into this club called the Heterodoxy Club. And it's a real club that was founded by this feminist organizer. And in the 1910s, they were talking about things like women's rights, um, birth control, the right to vote, of course, even free love. And these are things that we associate with the 60s and 70s, really. And so the idea that this was a discussion going on at that time, I thought, oh, that's great. I have to tap into that and show that. Um, and so that's half the fun is showing how things have changed or not. And the dual timeline really does help with that. Yes. But the, the Barbizon was, that was a particular spot. And we always wanted, a lot of us wanted to know what it was like. So I, it's a book I, I love and I desire to look at other historic buildings. Oh, I, I may have missed the question. It was breaking up a little bit. I'm sorry. Did that just a comment? Am I gone? Am I gone? <laughs> we can hear you. Yeah. It's okay. okay. It's just coming in and out of it. <laughs> well, I, this is probably a good time for me to say I have to go. And Fiona, I am a big fan, and it's been an honor to meet you. And love to everyone tonight. Likewise. Bye, Mary Alice. We love you. Bye. Miss you. We'll miss you for the rest of the time. Thank you. Bye. And the dual timeline thing is so much harder than you think it is when you- Oh my God, so that. much harder. <laughs> it's so, my last, the one my, that comes out of March is dual timeline. And I, as these women can attest, I almost abandoned it at least three or four times. Yeah, the last two I did, not this year's book, but um, the High Tide Club and Sunset Beach, I had dual timelines. And I, honestly, I really thought this is it. This is the end, I'm done. <laughs> And, and what's so great about your books is there's such great plot twists, you know, that surprise the reader. And that's what I love as well, where, you know, you're going in one direction and suddenly something's revealed. <laughs> the plot twists surprise me too, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> and so when doing timelines, you have to be so careful that you don't give away too much in one timeline that it'll affect the other. Oh, and then you don't talk about it before the, the modern day timeline knows about it, but yes. then you do it. Kristen just that's did it too. True. Yes. <laughs> Kristen, go, go. I know you have a great question. Go for it. Oh, me. I'm sorry. I was thinking Christy was next. Okay. So Fiona, you and I have done a couple of virtual events together already, and we still have at least one more to go, which I'm so excited about. Are you guys jealous? I get to hang out with her we again. We are jealous. Yes, so jealous. <laughs> Why don't you bring us with you? I don't yes, you guys are there. Do, do, 
do you know you know what our event is? It's at Cuyahoga County Library. So you guys, oh. um, I'm sure Ron Block would have. Ron would want us to all be I there, wouldn't you, Ron? We should. All right, we're, we're all we're all crashing the interview. <laughs> but so Fiona, you and I have a lot in common, I think, as do our books. But um, one of the things that has really struck me um, is that for both of us individually, we reach this moment in our careers where. We must have just felt like time to deliver an ode to books and to the people who love them, including booksellers and librarians. Can you talk a little bit about why this was that moment for you? Um, why are books and those who love them so deserving of a sweeping story like yours? And I also have to say before you answer, I truly think this book is going to be a game changer for you. This book is so good. And I hope that I just hope everybody in the world goes out and reads it. I, I mean, I've read it. I've blurbed it. I loved it. But anyhow, on with the question. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. No, and right back at you. Congratulations on the New York Times. In your book, I, I was just, someone was just, I was filling out a Q&A for something today, and they were saying, what's the last book that made you cry? And I said yours. It oh, gave me the chills you. that made me cry and, oh, in the best way. Thank um, you. So, yeah, so, so as I was researching this book, I learned about this librarian named Jean Ashton. And she had been at Columbia University's Butler Library in 1994 when there was a series of book thefts that happened over a period of three months. $1.8 million of rare books and manuscripts were stolen at that time. And no one could figure out how the thief was getting in and out. And I did an interview with her to find out, you know, what was it like? How are you feeling? Was the staff turning on each other? And she talked about how after they caught the thief, she went before the judge and said, we need to give him a harsher sentence. And she made this really passionate plea that was in the, the court transcripts. And she said, look, these books aren't just X number of pages worth X. They are really a piece of Western history and culture. And the loss would cause irreparable damage um, for scholarly research. And she described libraries as being the safekeepers of these artifacts of the past. And that the value of these artifacts fluctuates, like something that wasn't worth much, you know, 100 years ago, like women's diaries or records of slave transactions, today are really valuable because our way of thinking has evolved. And she explained all this to the judge, and he was so moved that he granted a harsher sentence. And later in 2002, they passed the Cultural Heritage Resources Law that said that if you stole anything from a library or a museum, you would get a harsher sentence. And so to me, she's a real hero in so many ways. And I just wanted to pay tribute to her in the book. And, and so in my character, Sadie, that sort of gets um, pulled into the storyline. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I have to say... Oh, go ahead. What'd you say? No, 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 no. I was just saying she does it so well. I'm just in awe of her book and the, the research that went into it. I'm, I'm totally team Fiona. <laughs> well, and in reading it, um, because there's this great mystery at its core, it's one of those books that you're reading it and you're thinking about it during the day. Aww. Completely. I wonder what's going to happen next. Where is, I don't want to give too much away, but there's some stolen books in there that'll make you really think about what books mean to you. And are they going to find it? Um, Christy. Well, that was such a good lead in to my next question. These were so um, well organized, Patty. Um, but it probably goes without saying that setting a book in one of the world's most famous libraries would be a dream for any of us. Um, and you've talked a little bit about your research now, but was there anything um, surprising or any surprising stories that emerged for you while you were researching this book? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that was, I was really lucky was that there's something called the Allen Room 
at the New York Public Library, where if you have a book contract, you can um, apply to work in that room. And if you need books, they get delivered to your bookshelf and it's right there, you know, a book on the construction of the library or, or typhoid in the 1910s. And, and so I was able to do that, which was terrific. And also they had all the archives um, from the, the superintendent in, in the 1910s. So I could look at the payroll and see who worked for him and how much did they get paid? What were his duties? And those details I think really go to make historical fiction work. But the most fun was dealing with the, the librarians there who answered all of my questions and were so helpful. And at one point in an early draft, there was a dead body in my book. And it's not there now, um, but there was a dead body. And I actually emailed the librarian and said, you know, you've probably never been asked this before, but if you had to hide a dead body in the library, where would you put it? <laughs> and she wrote back with a wonderful location. And, you know, I figured it out on the on the floor plan and, and I was up and running and she is she, she said yes no one has ever asked me that <laughs> <laughs> and they are now both being questioned by the NYPD <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> now someone at the library right this minute <laughs> that's amazing though. well that's that. another fun part of the book is that you learn about all these I didn't realize that a whole section of the New York Public Library is under Bryant Park. Yes, yeah. So, so they have the Rose Reading Room, which is that beautiful room at the very top. And underneath it are, are the stacks. And those are all the stacks of books. And it's seven layers. And you're not allowed in there. It's very, you know, the, the New York Public Library is not a library where you can take out books. It's only research. You can only keep them in. So you order a book up top and then it gets sent to you on a, on a trolley these days. Um, up in the Rose Reading Room, but they needed more room. And so Bryant Park is this huge park that extends beyond in the back of it. And underneath it, they dug and created two more levels of storage underneath there, which is just incredible. Is that what they did after they had that big stink about getting rid of the stacks in the main library? They did Bryant Park um, before, along a, a number of years ago, a, a couple of decades ago. So that was done. Yeah. And recently there was a talk of removing the stacks. And um, I think things are still being negotiated because they don't want to change the inherent structure of the building. It's so loved. Right. I know. I remember there was a huge controversy about it. And I remember board members were at each other's throats. It was really, a, it was kind of a sad but fascinating story. And, and that's in New York where, where you have these old buildings and then things change and do you change them over time or do you keep them the same? And that, that's what's so interesting about the landmarks in New York. Yeah. Happy, I feel, Mary Kay, it feels like that's a book you should write. The, the, the stacks. <laughs> we were joking around with an early title that we'd have a very buxom woman on the cover and call it Stacked. Stacked. <laughs> okay, now for our Patty commercial break to remind <laughs> you about our bookstore of the week, which is Books on the Commons. Each book you buy at an indie is a good deed, and at the same time, you get a great new book to read. Plus, you get to keep the literary community thriving. It is a win-win-win during this crazy time. So if you're interested in picking up one of our new releases tonight, please take advantage of the great 10% off at Books on the Common in Connecticut. The link is on our Facebook page with the Fiona announcement. And don't forget that Fiona's books will be signed. 
So now the four of us have had a chance to ask Fiona some questions, and we'd love to let you do the same. We've chosen three, no, two, from among the questions on our Facebook page. And while we're talking, if you have something you'd like to ask, post it, and we'll pull a couple live ones. So Mary Kay, you want to pull one we pulled? Yeah, uh, Donna Michan, Michan Rydell. Um, wants to know, Fiona, why are most of your books set on New York famous buildings? Um, and she says, she probably knows you get this, asked this all the time. She'd seen your interview with Kristen and, th- and wanted you to know it was awesome. Oh. <laughs> like, why not restaurants, Fiona? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so when I was a kid, my parents were both English and we would go back to England every few years to visit relatives and we would go and visit all the relatives all over from Scotland down to London and back up. And my brother and I would start fighting in the rental car. And so my parents would pull over at whatever castle we were passing or ruin and let us get out and run around. And I just loved how old everything was. I was really taken by the idea that anything less than 400 years old out there is pretty recent. Um, and, and I just loved imagining the ghosts that wandered the halls or what was it like for a servant girl. And I think when I started writing books, that's what I tapped into um, as a, a, just a way to create a framework to base the story on. And I love doing the research into the history. So it's a, a mix of being a real building geek, I think, and, and loving, loving old buildings. When I was working on Mrs. Lewis, the the building that he taught in was called the new building, like the new building on campus. And it was built in the late 1600s. Here's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. Um, since we lost our beloved Mary Alice, Mary Kay, do you want to ask the question we had pulled from Stephanie? Yeah, Brown? Stephanie Bowen, Stephanie Brown loves your cover. She says they're absolutely amazing. They always grab her attention before she even reads them. And she's also a library lover. She wants to know what your favorite libraries are to visit. And what was your favorite library book as a child? Ooh, I would say one of my favorite books as a child was, um, is it The Mystery of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie? Oh, wow. Um, because I, she, she, I loved Agatha Christie. And so the idea that she just broke all the rules with that book in a way, um, I just, you know, to me, that was incredible. And, and again, the idea that she's ahead of me and I have to try and figure out what the clues are and what, she, what are the red herrings. It felt like a real, you know, an exercise in reading, which I enjoyed. And yeah, I would say my favorite library is definitely the New York Public Library. I've been a New Yorker now for 30 years. And, you know, I, I went to it when I was an actress and we were, you know, doing costumes for a show. And back then you didn't have the internet. And you would go to the library, to their picture um, collection, and you could pull out pictures of, okay, what's 1950s dresses to get a sense of what, what the, the period should be. And so I've been using it in, a, in different aspects for, for decades now, and, and it's, it's my favorite. Lucky you. <laughs> well, I want to know everybody's favorite. First, can you think of your first favorite library book? The Bookmobile. Oh, yeah. Growing up in St. Pete, I was one second oldest of five kids. And the um, the big main library was way across town. And my mom had five little kids. And at that time, she didn't even have a car. She had a golf cart because my dad sold golf carts. So she <laughs> put us all on a golf cart. And we would go up to the shopping center. And we would check out once a month. The bookmobile came to the shopping center. And we'd check out 
the maximum number of books you were allowed. And when we got off, the tires would rise because there were six of us, including my mom. Oh, how funny. (laughs) How about you, Kristen? Do you remember? Library or library book? Either. Um, Library books, I think I just made my way through the whole Bobsy Twin and Nancy Drew series and Hardy Boys, but the old ones, like the ones from the, the uh, whenever, whenever they first came out, the 50s or 60s or whatever, like not the new ones with the fancy covers. So those all came from the library. And gosh, library. I, I guess, I mean, it would have been in Worthington, Ohio, because I didn't move to St. Pete until I was 10. Um, so yeah, gosh, I mean, I remember going to the library. I remember always having library books. I don't even remember the name of the library anymore. How horrible is that? No, it's not horrible. Just, I mean, when you're a kid, what do you don't think about the name? No, it's just the place with all the the wonderful books you get to read. Yeah. How about you, Christy? Um, This is probably not like my first favorite, but I remember how, I remember being so excited when I got old enough to sort of graduate from the little kid room at the library and you got to go upstairs to where the older books were. Yeah. And I remember like going and reading every single Sweet Valley twin book and then like working up to Sweet Valley High. And then there were like, I was pretty young. Like I certainly wasn't in high school or anything. I probably wasn't even in middle school. And I remember there were a couple, like the last two that my mom would not let me read because they were like super racy. And, um, I, and then I remember being like in college and somebody talked about it and I was like, you know what? I never read those last two Sweet Valley books and going back and reading them and being like, hmm. That's so crazy. <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, I just remember that so well. I'm like, okay, I've read seven. What's eight? You know, just like going through or like I've read eight and nine's checked out. Oh no. <laughs> For me, I remember so distinctly, we used to spend, I, I grew up up north, most of y'all know that, and I we spent our summers in Cape Cod, and I remember the Cape Cod Library way more than I remember any library at school, and the library at school, I remember hiding in during lunch hour, because I didn't <laughs> want to find a seat at the lunch table, and or figure out who to sit with. And But the one in Cape Cod, I used to get in trouble for bringing my books back with sand in them. Oh, oh. I remember getting in loads of trouble. Yours was Sweet Valley. Mine was Nancy Drew too, Kristen. Nancy and I yeah. checked them off one, one right after the other. Okay, Christy, you want to pull up a couple live questions? Yes. Do we want live questions just for Fiona or do we want live questions for all of us? We have time, whatever you pick, whatever you pick. Okay, well, I'll do one for all of us and then one for Fiona. Um, okay, so Cherie asked this one. I really, really like this one. Um, and I think we've all written dual timeline. And so she said, do you write one timeline at a time or do you write both at the same time? So let's maybe throw that to Fiona first. Yeah. So I write the old, t- the older timeline first, and then I do the new timeline. Oh, um, wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, okay. right, what about you, Patty? You do them separately, Fiona, like completely separately? Yeah. I, I've outlined them so I know where they each have to go, but I'll, I'll, do the old one first and then do the new one. The new one tends to be a little shorter. Yeah. So, yeah. So actually, can I ask a follow-up question to that, Fiona? So, so do you have to do a lot of editing then to weave them together? Um, you know, because I've outlined them carefully beforehand, it's not that bad, but I have to do a lot of ed- editing because my first drafts are so awful. Mine too. Um, <laughs> Mine too. There has to be 10 revisions on top of it, but <laughs> <laughs> but working the story together usually is pretty, pretty much in place. Although there's always changes as you know. Yeah. Yes. Yep. 
I am. Um, what about you, Patty? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to get. You I, read my mind. I <laughs> That's what's starting to happen to all of us. It's really right. Yes. Um, I write them at the same time. I, I have a vague outline of where it's going. And sometimes I'll get carried away. I'll, find, I'll really know where the, the historical timeline is going. And so I'll do a bunch of chapters, but I eventually try to catch up with my modern timeline. I think if I was a better outliner, I wouldn't have to do that. But um, so maybe that's what I'll try next time. But I, I, I do them simultaneously so that I can see, see where it's going. But it sounds easier to outline it. <laughs> I, I find I use the wrong name if I do it back and forth. I'll use oh, that's you know, interesting. the protagonist is in my head. And so I'll use the wrong yeah. name. And that's hard to search and replace. Yeah. Well, I don't do them on the same day. But I do kind of. Because <laughs> then I would probably do that too. But how about you, Kristen? Because you just did it. Yeah, I, I write. I start at chapter one and go straight through to the end, which means that I'm writing past and present one after each other or one after another. Um, and I think I figure it all out in the outline. So the stories feel separate to me. But I think at that, like when I'm writing the outline, I'm thinking in terms of the character's separate journeys. But yeah. once I have those journeys set, I think in the writing, I'm thinking about what's the arc of the book. And so I'm right. It makes sense in a linear way to write them because it, it, they're all propelling the book forward the same way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, about you? I'm the queen of chaos brain mm -hmm. and I, um, <laughs> I'm not a good outliner. And so with the pat, the, the two that I did with a dual timeline, I didn't know what I was doing. I would ping pong back and forth between the, you know, the past timeline and the current one. And then I would get myself in trouble. And I think, oh, my God, I don't know. Like I had a World War II flyer guy in the High Tide Club and he needed it. Yeah, it was I have so much respect <laughs> for all of you who do this on a regular basis, because I backed into it. I, I really just thought, oh, yeah, I'll have this old, uh, you know, I'll have this old back backstory. And it's way more than a backstory. <laughs> I think my only book that didn't have a dual timeline is feels like falling. Maybe, maybe Dear Carolina didn't, but I've always written them. You know, it's uh, the stories just always really sort of flowed from one to the next to the next. And I do not outline. So that's kind of a disaster, but I'm working on my first, I've written about, you know, a, a historical time period, but with a fictional character before. And that, seem to just flow really easily, but I'm writing about my first real historical characters. And that has been a little more, I don't know if I'm just like uptight about it because I've never done it. So I'm like stressed out about it, but I've written like the first 200 pages and then like the last 50 pages, but it's like, I have 50 in here and I'm trying to but none of the character stories are complete. So I think that's what I, I was like, okay, I need to, I know I don't normally do this, but I think I just need to go back through each character storyline and like write that one extra chapter. It's really weird. That's never happened to me before, but it's like, I, I know the beginning and I know the end. And it's like just that one pivotal moment. And I like, can't decide what it's going to be for all of them. So it's all got to like come together. So do you guys write a Bible for these dual timelines? Yeah. 
I, I write notes in my outline. I'll, I'll write notes with like birth dates and, you know, these are the names. I'll have like, if I have a big group of people that I have to keep track of the characters, I'll make lists of the character names, which I guess is sort of a Bible, but it, it's a very casual abbreviated Bible that just gets cut and pasted into my uh, Yeah, we should probably explain what a Bible is. <laughs> it, there's the King James Version and then there's... <laughs> Why don't you describe it, Nathan? You tell them what you meant. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, I'm the worst one to tell about it because I, we don't remember, I remember to do it, you know, two thirds of the way through when I'm totally lost. It's sort of just like a, 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 a it's like a, what would you call it? A um, guidebook that says, here's who your characters are. Maybe you have their family history, um, how old they are, what they do. Um, what maybe what their relationship is to the protagonist. You might put in some stuff about the settings, the timeline, the time frame of the book, um, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff for me shows up in the outline. And I started three. That's because you do an outline. (laughs) I don't do a whole one, but I did start. And Kathy, you know this, and then we're going to go to the next question. I started about three books ago using Scrivener when I started writing. Yeah. And then Fiona, you know, when you use Scrivener, everything can go in there. It's and whatever's in that, ch- I know it's so great. Oh, yeah, especially for historical fiction, because you can be working on something and think, well, I need to see a photo of the dress she's wearing. Click. And with one click, it's up. Yep. And wow. And you can even put the, you can even vertical it so the dress is next to what you're writing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I might need to do that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not using that. That uh, Maybe I need oh. to it's after I wrote Mrs. Lou, I haven't, I, the, everything I've written since then has been on Scrivener. I failed but, okay. Learning next question, Christy. What's the next question? And then we'll, um, writing tip. This one, we just did a whole writing tip. Wow. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This one is amazing. Um, Rose Deloach wants to know what happened to the wine drinking? Oh, so, the wine drinking on our show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, drinking beer park because I am in the <laughs> hall at, at summer camp. Look guys, we're at family camp this week. So that's where I am. So no alcohol at camp. I are sponsored Deer Park Water. And I'm on the green team. Yes, I'm also sponsored by Deer Park Water. How weird. <laughs> really not. But I'm on the green team. Green team. Nice. Go green team. I have to tell you, I'm drinking the champagne Christy sent me a week ago because she was so sure I was going to hit the New York Times list. So. I did. I sent it to her and I said, put this in your freezer, in your fridge so that you can pop it when you find out that you hit the Times list. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, On every Friends and Fiction episode, we try to give you a writing tip, although we just gave you a writing class, but... Um, for all the writers out there tonight, we thought you might not want to hear any more from us and you might want to hear some wisdom from Fiona. So Fiona, what tip do you have for those running to write a novel? I would say, don't ever think it's too late. It doesn't matter if you're 30 or 40 or 50, you know, for me, I didn't start drafting my first book until I was in my mid forties and published it at 49. And now I'm in my early, early fifties. Did I say 49 or 39? 49. 49. <laughs> now I'm in my, my early 50s. And, you know, I couldn't have written these books 20 years ago. I didn't have the life experiences and I didn't have the vocabulary and I didn't have just the, the inner life of 
of betrayal and betraying and, you know, just, just the things that you go through as you live. And so I'd say, don't feel like, because you're, you know, in your forties or fifties that it's over because it's or your sixties or your sixties or seventies. Some of us are in their sixties. Yeah. And it's never too late to, to have a story that you just love and feel like you need to put it on the page. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think as women, we're so often taught that age is something we have to overcome or, or feel badly about. And in fact, it's an asset and it should always be an asset. And we should always look at every year we live as something that makes us a better person and a stronger person and better, better at what we do and who we are. So that w- that is great life advice as well as great writing advice. Now, I think about the, remember that book, oldest living Confederate widow tells all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that lady, I think that author was in her eighties when the, and it was her first book when it was published. Wow. Oh. And also I think that hems to, or, or rings true to also the mentors of, of older, you know, you know, when I was in my early thirties and wanted to write my first novel, you know, the wisdom of, of, of someone who's already written a few, there's, yeah, it's never, never, ever too late. So we also like to suggest every week, we like to throw out books that we're each reading or talk about debuts. So Christy, I know you wanted to tell us about a book that you were reading. I did. And y'all, I was, I remembered to pack it and brought it to camp. Did not bring it into the hall with me tonight. Um, but the book I wanted to talk about was um, Louisiana Lucky. Oh, do you have it? Thank goodness. I mean, we say we do. We really do. We really do. By Julie Pinnell. And it is actually launching the same day as Fiona's beautiful new book, August 4th. Um, it is just, it's, the, it's such a charming and fun story. It's a perfect way to you know, end your summer. Unfortunately, I don't want to be ending our summer. Um, but it's about three sisters who hit the jackpot big time in the lottery and the ways that their lives changed, um, were better and in the really unexpected ways too, and sort of their relationships underlying it all. Just loved it. It was so fun. Um, I love Julie. She's amazing. And I've loved all her books, but, um, this is just, it's so charming. You'll love it. That's awesome. Fiona, you said you wanted to tell us about something you're reading. Yeah, well, there's something that's actually coming out September 1st. So I, do, I have a galley, which doesn't have the gorgeous cover. It has a gorgeous cover. And it's called 50 Words for Rain by Asha Lemmy, L-E-M-M-I-E. And it's her debut. And it's so beautifully written. And it's post-World War II Japan from the point of view of a young girl who's half Black and half Japanese. And it's just a story like I've, I've never read before. It's, it's really unique. So yeah, 50 Words for Rain by Asha Lemmy comes out September 1st. That sounds awesome. awesome. Wow. That sounds great. Anybody else? I do have one I didn't tell you about. Well, tell us now. Oh, good. This is called, this is another debut novel, and it's called The Second Home by Christina Tancy. And I have just gotten into it and already loving it. Oh, wow. Uh, to hold up that cover. That is such a cool cover. It's a great cover. Yeah. Oh, it's a great, oh, it's beautiful. Great yeah. look of art. Yeah. You can tell Patty and I are in the throes. We're in the throes of cover. Because we're like, let me see the cover again. Yeah. Let me <laughs> so I wanted to tell you all about a book coming out in about two weeks. It's called The Comeback by a woman named Ella Berman, and it is a debut. And 
I mean, right now, getting the word out about a debut, I can't imagine in this world, not visiting. So it's about, I think this sounds so fascinating. It's about a young movie star who left Hollywood when her career was on an upswing. And now as she is returning one year later to face the manipulative film director who controlled her life. So it sounds a little ripped from the press. This is the cover. Oh, oh cool. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Very timely. I know. Doesn't it sound ripped from the headlines? Yes. Yes. So we have some really exciting things happening here at Friends in Fiction. So we want to tell you about some of them before we sign off tonight. So don't leave because it's announcement time because we have this killer fall schedule coming and you're going to want to hear about it. But Mary Kay, you want to tell us what's next for us? Well, you know, we've been building up to this and what's next for the Friends and Fiction ladies is a podcast. Um, There'll be more coming on that soon, but we wanted to know, we wanted you to know that next week when we have Ellen Hildebrand with us, we'll be telling you all about it. So stay tuned to hear all the details about our Friends and Fiction podcast that we've been planning in secret. Yep. We have lots of secret things. Yeah. Planning in secret, except it's been part of our intro for. I know, right? <laughs> We're so <laughs> sneaky that we've accidentally been running Friends in Fiction as a podcast for the last like five weeks. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> We're not very, so we have secrets. We're just not very good at keeping them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can't be trusted with anything. Remind us about what's going on with the book club. Sure. With that? Because you're on this month for the book club. I am, yeah. So the Friends in Fiction Book Club, um, so fun. It's run by two of our members, Brenda Gardner and Michelle Marcus. And I think they're over a 1,000 members strong now. I will post the link again tonight, but it's just Friends in Fiction Official Book Club. Super easy to find. Every month they read a book by one of the Friends in Fiction authors. And this month, I'm lucky enough that they're reading The Book of Lost Names, my book. Um, And so I will be joining them August 17th for a chat where you can ask me any questions you have about the book, including spoilers. We do spoilers over there. Um, Mary Kay, you did it last month with them. Did I you have did. a good time? It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It, I think it's just a great place to discuss a book in depth. And so right now, again, Book of Lost Names, look for uh, the Friends in Fiction Book Club. So the last, well, second to last piece of exciting news is, is that we are going to start a Friends in Fiction newsletter because we plan to send a few short and sweet blasts out each month and they will be chock full of exclusive content. Um, We're gonna have separate interviews with our authors. We're gonna give you sneak peeks of things. We're gonna have cover reveals. We'll have bonus content, offers from our booksellers, recipes, goodies, all of that stuff. So starting right now, literally right now, someone's posting it on our Facebook page, you can sign up to receive our emails. To subscribe, what you do is you go to friendsandfiction.com or and hover over contact at the top of the page and then choose the newsletter sign up. We've also shared the link on our Friends and Fiction page, but we are so excited about our newsletter because we're always trying to tell y'all so many things and it tends to get lost sometimes on the Facebook page. So we'll be sending out newsletters so nothing gets lost and you know what's coming up and you know who our guests are and we'll have secret interviews that aren't so secret, just like our podcast. <laughs> and 
photos. And photos. They're so sneaky. So sneaky. So Christy, tell us a little bit about what we have coming up in the fall. Oh my gosh. We have the most amazing fall schedule. I'm just going to tell you about a few of our incredible guests. Um, August 5th, next week, we have Ellen Hildebrand, and I'm going to be hosting. I'm so excited. And then August 12th, we'll have Karen Slaughter. August 19th, Christina McMorris. September 2nd, Etoff Room. September 9th, Emily Giffen. September 16th, Sydney Pike. And September 30th, Kathy Rikes. So we um, have the best guests coming up, and we, we do have many more months of them planned, but that's probably about as much as you can handle right now. So the, the long and short of it is, be here every Wednesday at seven or you're going to be missing out. And Fiona, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank, thank, you. Big fans. thank you. I realized I haven't shown the cover, so I'll do there it. You go. It's so gorgeous. Such a gorgeous cover. And I just want to say thank you so much. It's like being part of the cool crowd. This oh. is like my dream. So thank you so much for including me and for everything you're doing for authors in this time. You're, you're creating such a valuable service and it's really appreciated. You know why you thank think you. we're cool is because we're library dorks like you are. No, we're all our own kind of cool. But your cover is gorgeous. I love how they have the library. Oh, and last week, I totally messed up the names of the lions. So you tell us, Fiona, what are the name of the two lions in front of the New York Public Library? Their patience and fortitude. Which none of us have. So... <laughs> Thanks for coming tonight, y'all. I know we could talk for hours. Thank you, Fiona. We could Thank not you, be more Fiona. grateful to all of you. We are thrilled that you spend your Wednesday nights with us and listen to us on our website. You are the reason we keep coming back. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you, Thank you Fiona. Everybody. You're Thanks, amazing. <laughs> Reorder that book. Yes, yes everybody <laughs> go order the book from Books Don't order yeah. Right now. <laughs> right now. Let's do it. Bye-bye. Okay, that was so great. That was oh, wait, she, How great is she? She's amazing. Seriously, this uh, this is such a great book. I mean, I, I hope everyone runs out and buys it because it is... I, I, I read it back in January and then I did an event with her right after and I felt like I was hanging out with a rock star. Like the book was that good. It just blew me away. Well, we casually mentioned and, you know, we could have talked to her for hours, but about the change in women's you know, the way they look at the world in this book, the way that she shows, and it makes you wonder, what would I have thought in 1910? Would I have had the courage? I know that both you, Mary Kay, and you, Kristen, both went to journalism school. In 1910, would you have done it? I did too. Oh, that's right. All three of you did. I went to nursing school, which you probably did in 1910. (laughs) So y'all just did, you know, would you have done it? I don't know. I know. I I love that historical fiction makes us ask those kind of questions. Yeah. We're doing an after show. You want to come meet everyone? (gasps) Yes! (laughs) Hi, Hi, sweetie. Hi. Hi. Hey, Megan. I love you. I'll be back up. Um, that was the best. She just stole the episode. Cameo. Yeah, cameo. Anyway, thanks, y'all. I think it was great tonight. Can we talk about? I don't know if I don't know if y'all remember, but Kristen hit the New York Times list today. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Someone we know hit the New York Times list. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And if you, if you, were, if you haven't already gotten it, 
Yeah. You know, you could go to our bookstore of the week mm-hmm. and order it. Mm-hmm. And then you could be as cool as all the people <laughs> who are already right. ordering. Who have already read it. That's and right. could keep it on the New York Times bestseller list. Again. And, <laughs> and, and you could go on uh, an online review site. There are many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could give it a great review as we all have. You know, like someone say, has, yes, like we have, we have done that. Mm-hmm. Which is so awesome. Thank you. But you guys, I didn't hit it. We did. Like it was, I just feel like it was such a team effort and it was, I feel like it should, shouldn't even just say my name on the cover. It should just say the friends and fiction authors because we all, you all got behind it so much. And I appreciate that. And, mm-hmm. and if anyone's looking for it, I, it is still out of stock in so many places, but it should be back in stock by the middle of next week. <laughs> So, which feels like a hundred years. Stop you from ordering it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If if you order, like Amazon, for example, is saying one to two months. It's not going to be one to two months. So, right. But it's also a really good lesson about why we're always like pre-order the book, pre-order the book, because then all of a sudden the publisher's like, we didn't know that they were going to sell this many, and then there are no books, and nobody can get the book. So, (laughs) it's a great thing. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that people probably don't realize is a pre a pre order campaign really gives a writer's publisher the idea that that there is buzz behind a book, that the the book is gonna is you know is gonna be great, and then they they do more for the book, they do more promotion, they may order another extra printing, so all of that stuff um, is means a lot a lot um for somebody with a book about to come out so we all thank you those of you who um are early birds we love you yeah we do appreciate it deeply yeah thank Thank you you. all all right you guys it's so good to see your faces go celebrate i'm gonna go to there's some kind of camp activity going on right now that i'm gonna go well don't forget you're on the green team exactly Sponsored by Deer Park. Yeah. Sponsored by Deer Park. The green team is going to take it all. I don't know what the green team is going to do. or I mean, we just got here, so I don't know what we're going to do, but the green team is going to rock it. I hope you're going to do parades. Yep. Oh, I'm sure we will. Um, There is a... New York Times, four words, New York Times. (laughs) There's a talent show. Kristen, maybe we could have you like come on and like read a chapter. (laughs) <laughs> i'm sure the kids would love that <laughs> the yeah. moms would though <laughs> i don't know how you do a talent show without wine chris yeah. <laughs> right no i know i mean we don't know what's in that we don't know what's in that deer park bottle right. either well this could be a special deer no i haven't even broken the seal on this deer park vodka i don't know yeah <laughs> All right, guys, I got to fly. I'm all right. Good night, y'all. Love you all. Bye. Good night. Love you all. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, friends and fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.